this is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, yeah, so we are excited about that. This is, you know, it was a, um, trying to stay, I don't want to open this thing up. But anyway, just there's a difference between the Holy Spirit being in you and the Holy Spirit coming on you. And so in John 20, Jesus, after he was resurrected, he breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But then he told them, don't start, don't leave here until you receive the promise from the Father. The promise from the Father was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit came upon them. He says, once this happens, you'll receive power. So you have to ask yourself the question, do you receive power before that or after that? And so I'm not going to get into a... But anyway, so this is a big deal. Changed my life. uh, Changed many people's life. But I just want to say, if you've not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we'd love to pray for you. So, yeah. All right. Um, Next thing I want to talk about was the... uh, on the slides, we talked about, uh, or there's a slide in there about tomorrow being uh, a, a Monday, the first Monday in the month, to fast. And I just wanted to reconnect the dots on that. I had talked to our staff uh, a few weeks ago and just said, you know, I think I'm about 20 plus years ago, I had a series of dreams. And, um, and in the dreams, it was, every one of the dreams had to do with an outpouring and uh, not only was it something that I witnessed, but I think, I, I don't think, it was something that I was involved, it was, it was something that I encountered. So this, this, these dreams about, you know, just unprecedented power, unprecedented outpouring, unprecedented, uh, just the glory coming. And it's taken me this long to, I think, realize, oh, I think those dreams actually stamped a vision on my spirit because that is the, whatever I caught in those dreams is what I'm looking for now. And so you can think about something like that and, and think, well, you know, if God wants to do it, then he'll do it. Uh, he's sovereign, which he absolutely is. But I've, I've, I've sensed here recently that we have a part to play where we have a part to partner with him. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a small step, but, but we do it by fasting. There's, you don't earn anything by fasting. Just, let me just tell you that. You don't earn anything. All it does is it recalibrates you. It recalibrates me. It causes me to be more aligned or in tune with this spirit, more sensitive. And so, um, and so that's what we are starting to do. Uh, we as a church body, we're saying, okay, you know, I think we've all told you all about the, uh, the, the event that happened in a staff meeting where Alan's phone goes off and it says it's God's plan to bring transformation to your city. And uh, there was no you know, previous podcast or anything like that that was playing. He had every, all the bells and whistles and every volume stuff turned down. And, uh, uh, and so we we're like, oh, wow, the Lord used a donkey back in the day. This, you know, he's using a smartphone. And... Uh, and so, but, but we, we, we recognized that, wow, this, the Lord was speaking to us. And so we were so happy for a longest time that the Lord spoke up and said something and like 20 or 30 people, 30 people heard it all at the same time. And we all didn't know what to do with our hands. And, and, and then, then we began to realize, oh no, actually, I think he's setting a, 
a beacon. I think, he, I think he's laying out a vision. I think he's wanting us to, a mission. He's wanting us to do something. And so, so then we got to the place of, okay, well, I mean, we're ready whenever he's ready. And I think he's looking for a partnership of us to lean in and go, okay, I'm going to make myself ready for whenever you come or whatever you do. So I just want to be there. And so that's what this, what this is. And it's not just about this. Fasting is not just about getting something done. It is more than anything, 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 anything. Intimacy. It is about intimacy. It, it's about him. It's about, so uh, that, that's who we're about. We are about intimacy. And so anyway, I, um, you know, um, I was just, um, wrote some notes down. I thought, well, you know, we'll just wait till he shows up. Well, the thing about it is he's showing up. So I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, he's showing up in children's church a, a few weeks ago. The, we're sitting in here and the, the fire alarm goes off. What was great was nobody moved, which they, this used to happen all the time. The fire alarm was, would go off because there was a glitch in our fire alarm system. But we, we began to take note of whatever was happening during the service and begin to use that as a marker. It was like, oh, maybe he was emphasizing this. And so this, that one Sunday when it broke out here, uh, the fire alarms went off, but I think we were singing about uh, sacrifice and, and, and burning and something like, something like that. Anyway, anyway, but the thing that was great about it was even though it, it, you would have taken it initially as an interruption, the Lord, there was something on it. And when we stopped and paused, he just showed up and redirected the entire uh, service. So, so I say that to say for me, for that, the, the alarm went off in children's church. Okay, they, they were cooking something, but there's no smoke, there's no nothing. It was second service. They, they did the same thing in first service and nothing happened. But for me, it was a sign that the Lord is wanting to include all the generations. The fact that it started in children's church. Uh, you know, there's stuff happening with the youth. There's stuff, stuff happening, you know, in, in the ministry. There's stuff happening in the coffee shop. There's stuff, I'm just saying he's moving. He's moving. So it's like, if we're waiting for him to move, he might already be here waiting on us. So, uh, so that's the purpose of, of the, uh, of the fasting. So anyway, and the thing about it is no shame. Fasting is meant to be between me and God, or you and God. So you don't have to tell what you're doing. You don't compare notes. You don't feel guilty. You don't feel this is between you and God, me and God. Us and God. That's all. That's all the comparisons I've got. So anyway, okay. I uh, I am going to pick up today. We're talking about we're talking about the names of God, and I want to I want to say something from the onset. I, I remember, I, I think I used this verse, um, and it's not on my slides. In Genesis chapter sixteen, Genesis sixteen is about Hagar. And uh, uh, Hagar's kind of been set up to be, uh, to, to, to become pregnant by Abraham. And she's, and then Sarah uh, starts mistreating her and Sarah kicks her, votes her off the island. And, uh, and so Hagar is out in the desert and uh, the angel of the Lord shows up. And in verse, um, verse eight, the angel says to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son and you are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. And then you go, uh, he explains uh, what Ishmael is going to be like. And then verse 13 is what I want to land on. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? And so my hope, my objective in us talking about looking, kind of delving into the names of God is that we would come away with this referring to him possibly in a different name. Hopefully, prayerfully, something more intimate, something more magnanimous about who he is is going to open up and touch our spirits to where whatever picture we had of him before is going to completely change. So, so if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm just we're going to look at a lot of scripture. We're going to start with Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Before we do that, while you're turning to that, I'll, I'll, I want to pray. Father, Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Whew. Father, I ask, Lord, that, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that where there have been places in our heart that have been either slow to understand or reluctant to believe, I ask, Lord, by your mercy and grace, would you pour out your grace and mercy, Lord, upon us and draw us into your everlasting love. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 6. We had used this uh, the last couple of weeks. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and, and he said, uh, they asked him, they said, could you teach us how to pray? And he said, yeah, pray, pray this way. He says, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I told you all, I was reading one day and kind of following through my Bible reading plan and, and came to this verse. And I'm, for whatever reason, you know, you ever been, ever, ever, And then, and that was amazing. <laughs> Have you ever had a time where just a verse jumps off the page? And this verse just jumped off the page. And it, I was like, wow. And I remember thinking, uh, hallowed be your name. And I thought, what, what is his name? You know, is it Father? I don't think it's Father. But what, what is the Lord's name? And so that's what, that's what started this whole uh, topic in me uh, looking into the names of, of, of God. And so anyway, I uh, turn to uh, Proverbs 22.1. Proverbs 22.1 says, a good name is more desirable than great riches. Now th- that right there is a value statement. A good name 
is more valuable than riches. That's a value statement. Heaven, Solomon, whoever you want to tag this to, whoever, but, it, but someone is speaking here saying, hey, pay attention. A good name is actually more valuable than riches. And, uh, and so, so the thing that I want us to, and we're going to look at this topic of the names of God for the next, I don't know how many, I don't know how many weeks, but it'll be a few, several weeks or a few weeks. We'll see how fast I go. Um, but in the Bible, one of the things about that we want to take away about a name is that a name often provided a clue to the nature or the character of a person or a place. So, uh, uh, so basically, your name was synonymous with your reputation. They're one and the same, whether good or bad. And so, um, so a child's name uh, was descriptive. Usually, a child's name when a parent, and it's still today. We, we did this with our with our kids. When we picked out names, we were looking for the name, for the meaning of the names, and our hope was that the name would actually set a course for the child's destiny, and that that child would uh, aspire into the meaning of the name. And so, um, so if you if you named your child, uh, if you named your boy David, David, uh, the meaning of David is beloved. And so you, as a parent, you, uh, the intent of naming him that is that he would grow up and be beloved by God and, and beloved by people. And so the, this whole thing about a name, it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. Parents believed that actually a name could influence the child's destiny. So now, having said that, um, couple of in, a couple of examples I want to bring up. Jesus, if you, if you take that premise and apply it to the life of Jesus, especially the situation we're about to look at, Jesus met Simon but decided to change his name. And so in Matthew 16, it says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not... Well, it will not overpower it. So Jesus renamed Simon Peter. He took the, he took the, the, the Greek word Petros, which means rock, and he applies it. He used it to change his name and also uh, 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 give to him a prophetic, uh, a prophetic word as to what his life and destiny was going to look like in the kingdom. And this is not the first time that God has changed people's names. He's changed people's names all throughout scripture. Anybody want to take a go at one of them? I, I couldn't hear anything you said. So. <laughs> You're right, Abram. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you a father of many nations. So Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. And God also renamed uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Adam named Eve, Eve, because Eve means living or life, because she was the mother of all the living. So I said that, that uh, names have to do with reputation or character, whether good or bad. Here's one that's not so good. Uh, this was uh, from Abigail. 
who was Nabal's wife, uh, pleading with David, please, please, please spare my life and our family's life just because my, my, my husband acted like a maniac to you. Please don't. But she says, that's what she say, maniac. She says this, please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. Thanks, mom. And then the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, the reason they called it Babel is because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Babel means confusion or to confuse. And so we, we've talked about uh, the names. And so I'm going to go back just a little bit, just to, just to pick something up and bring it forward. In Exodus chapter 3, when God uh, visits Moses to tell him to, hey, I want you, I'm, I'm here to deliver the Israelites. I'm here to deliver my people, and I want you to lead the charge. And, and Moses said, well, when I go to them, when I go to the elders, who should I say sent me? And he says, I am who I am. He said, and thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That I am who I am is translated as the name Yahweh or, or Y-H-W-H, Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the personal name of God. It's actually a covenant name. It's a name, what I mean by covenant name, it's the name that he uses to emphasize his covenant to his people. So when he's wanting to enter into a relationship, he will, he will uh, uh, he'll use the word Jehovah, which is a covenant name, but there's also, Jehovah is also a compound name. So you can use, um, well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let me do this real quick. So Yahweh, Jehovah, is, can be rendered, I am with you, ready to save and to act just as I have always been. So when we say Jehovah or, or Yahweh or Lord, Lord is in, in our American translations, it means I am with you, ready to save and to act just as I have always been. Just like if you named your son David, it means beloved, his name is I am with you, ready to save and to act just as I have always been. The only caveat is, is we have to believe it. If we don't believe it, it can be a closed door. So, Jeremiah 23, if you would turn to Jeremiah 23. We're going to look at a compound name of God. The first name is Jehovah, which means I am with you, ready to save and to act just as I have always been. So when we call on him or when we sing about Jehovah, we are singing directly to this one. And this is not just a name. So when I'm talking about names here, I'm not talking about a name tag that we read off a name tag. Okay, John Smith, that's your name. No, 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 no. There's an implication of an invitation of a relationship as to what that name means with his people. Did I say that? There's an invitation. There's something, there's a facet of him that he wants to be known as this name. Not just known up here, he's wanting us to encounter him. The thing that I realize is my head knowledge about God far supersedes my heart experience of him. My head knowledge of God far supersedes my heart knowledge or my heart experience of him. 
The kingdom is about heart knowledge. It's about heart experience. We're not here worshiping someone, this ethereal God in the sky. This, this God in the sky is wanting to interact with his creation. The people who know their God will do great exploits. The knowing their God piece of it is not this. It's this. It's the experience of it. That's what he's here to do. This is why he, this is, this is the kingdom here. So, compound, okay, here we go, Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. So, the Lord our righteousness, it's actually, we're going to look at a couple of different translations, is Jehovah, his Hebrew name is Sedkenu. But we're going we're to expand this in just a second. But when we see the Lord or we see Jehovah, remember, you want to insert right there, I am with you, ready to save and to act just as I have always been, your righteousness. compounding I am here with you ready to save and to act just as I've always been your righteousness so his name I'll just say this is Jehovah Sedkenu it's a compound name it's a covenantal name he is saying I am your righteousness now, what we just read in Jeremiah was also prophesied in Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 13. Isaiah 54, verse 14. 13 and 14. Isaiah says this, All your children shall be taught by the... I am with you ready to save and to act just as I've always been. And great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness, you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. So this phrase that I'm wanting us to look at is, in righteousness, you shall be established. Now, let me just tell you right now, righteousness is not one of those words that we use every day. I don't think that I've ever used it except for reading the King James Version of the Bible or this version. It's just not something I, I can connect to. I don't know what righteousness means. Does it mean like you're, you're pure or he's, I mean, of course he's righteous. If he says righteous, Lord, our righteousness, then of course he's righteous. I mean, what does that mean? I don't know. It's a slang term when you're surfing. Righteous. <laughs> so the, the reason I say that, because in order for us to get this, let me just tell, can I just tell you this? Here's, if you don't remember anything, remember that. Listen to this. When you're reading the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, slow down. Slow way down. This taste and see that the Lord is good, his word can actually, you can actually taste it. 
But the tasting, in order to taste it, you know what savor means, to savor something? It means to take your time. Take, take your time. If you will take your time and begin to look at individual words and think about what an individual word might mean, start with something simple, with, with, the, with dictionaries, open it up, find different translations, whatever. But slow down, it will begin to open up. The word will begin to open up. You'll begin to go, oh, wow, I just got through half of a sentence or half of a verse. So what does, so this is one of those words where you just read past, uh, read right over it and not just go, okay, he's our righteousness. All right, keep on going. But look at this. So righteousness, the best definition for righteousness, get your cameras, cameras out, <laughs> is the ability to stand in the father's presence without any sense of fear, condemnation, or inferiority. Jehovah, our righteousness. Jehovah, I am with you, ready to save and to act, just as I have always been, our righteousness. Righteousness, our righteousness, is the ability to stand in the Father's presence without any sort of fear, shame, condemnation, inferiority, guilt, nada. Well, how can that happen? How does that happen? Let me just tell you, before we start going down that, you need to know that the kingdom of God, the government of the kingdom of God is so airtight that there's no room for any sort of wiggling around or, or sloughing away or blinking at or dismissing anything that has to do with sin. doesn't work. I don't, I don't care what you've heard or, or how different packages of, of, of definitions of, I don't want to, of things are, but there is absolutely no, it is squeaky clean. Every single cent has to be accounted for and paid for. He's not there just turning, turning a deaf ear or a blind eye at what you're, no, 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 no. Just lost my glasses. There they are. <laughs> so let me just say that this is paramount. Guys, this, this is paramount. Righteousness. The, the, that he is our righteousness. He actually provides the ability for us to stand in the fa- right in front of the Father without any, sorts of, any sort of sense of fear, condemnation, guilt. How? The reason that it's some of the times this is so hard for us to get our, our mind around, we're going to look at how he did it, but we have to, to get our mind around this, this whole topic is that we don't have a righteousness conscious. Consciousness. That's a lot of nesses. We have a sin consciousness. In other words, the, the thing that needs to change for us is that what's front and foremost in our face is our own shortcomings, our own failures, our own sin. And on top of that, you've got, you've got this, um, this being called the accuser of the brethren who is accusing you to you night and day 
And when he's finished there, while you are asleep, he's up at the throne accusing you to God night and day. So this, this whole thing, the, the radio waves that we listen to are all jam-packed with the same message. I'm a loser. You're a loser. Look at you. You've lost. It, it's, all about, it's all that. And it's because we have a sin consciousness. It's scary to even think about what if we had a righteousness consciousness. We say, oh, yeah, but uh, Pastor Jeff, you're going to excuse sin? No. If you're looking for an excuse to sin, you might want to check which spirit is in you. Because Scripture says that these two are diametrically opposed. The Holy Spirit and sin. So if there's something in you that's looking for a way to, let me just help you here. You're, 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 talking to the, you're talking to the wrong thing, wrong person. Spirit, not person. So, his name, Jehovah, our righteousness. The, the, the truth of the matter is, and some of you are way out beyond me, man could not restore himself. There had to be a divine remedy. The Lord, our righteousness, that phrase, the Lord, I, I, would, I used to read it, the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord who is righteous, or the Lord who is righteousness. It's like, no, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah, our righteousness, that name, I'm going to slow way down, reveals the method of our acceptance before God. Jehovah, our righteousness, that's a name, just like Here's another one real quick. Exodus 34. Moses says, show me your glory. He says, I'll come down and I will, I will, you can't see my face, but I'll walk in front of you. The Lord, the Lord came down in the cloud, stood there with him and called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord's calling out his own name. The Lord passed by in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord. I'm with you, ready to save and to act just as I've always been. The God of compassion and mercy. He's still talking about his names. I'm slow to anger. Each one of these is not just a description of who he is. It's an invitation to encounter him in this area. I'm the God of compassion. It's a, it is an invitation for you to encounter me as the God of, of compassion in your life. Slow to anger. Well, that's... I don't, I, don't even, I don't even believe him. Because I, I, I have a picture of him. He's, he's quick to anger. To be angry, not quick to anger. Anyway, so Jehovah, our righteousness, the name that reveals the method of our acceptance before God, turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Paul highlights, talks about the very thing that I'm, that, that I'm outlining right here. 2 Corinthians 5.21, familiar verse. The method of our acceptance before God is right here. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That's the method. That's the only method. Everything else is smoke and mirrors. Jehovah, our righteousness, that name, Jehovah, I am with you, ready to save and to act just as I have always been. 
The method is, um, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. How will he become my righteousness? Right here. He will become sin in place of me. Again, if we believe it. Not, not up here. If we believe it. Jesus was substituted for us. That's the method by which we have acceptance before God. His substitution. Guys, this is why when you read in Scripture and the elders in Revelation, the elders, everyone's looking, the, uh, everyone's falling down at his feet because there's no one like him. There's no one beside him. There's no one that has taken all of our punishment, paid all of our debt, paid all of our, everything that we could have owed, not only just to get us out of debt, but to restore us into a face-to-face relationship with the most holy being on earth, I mean, on, in the universe. He restored us to right relationship forever. This revelation that I'm talking about will continue to cascade throughout eons and eons and millions and billions of years. It's the reason why the, 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 uh, the four living creatures, they, 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 they come up for air. They look and all they can say is, holy, holy, holy. It's completely other than. He's completely different. It's all about what he has done, not what you've done. It's all about what he's done. The trick is to get to believe, is is for us to believe what he's done. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him to be sin on our behalf. That's the method. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him speaks of the measure. So there's a method of our acceptance. That's the exchange, what he did. Then there's the measure of how much we're accepted. So the question is then... How much is Jesus accepted? Totally. Whatever degree Jesus is accepted, that's that's the measure of acceptance that I get. This is why the writer of Hebrews says we... You could walk straight up to the throne in a time of need, right up to the throne, cry out to the Lord of mercy in time of need because of what he's done. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done. So Jehovah, our righteousness, that name... He took our sin and became the method and the measure of our acceptance before God. Did we talk about the Hebrew name Jehovah said Kenu? Did, we, did I say that? Jehovah said Kenu. Jesus is 
our Jehovah Sedkenu. Jehovah Sedkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. So we talked about in the Old Testament, that all these verses that we're looking at were in the Old Testament. They're pointing to Jesus. Jesus is our Jehovah Sedkenu. Look at Romans 5. I'm going to hurry. Romans 5, 17 through 19. Romans 5, 17. I'm going to read this slower. <clears throat> For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. So that phrase, for all who, are, who will receive it, receive what? The gift of righteousness. For all who will receive it, righteousness, remember, the ability to stand in the Father's presence without any fear, shame, or condemnation. Let's keep reading. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous the ability to stand in the Father's presence without any sort of fear, condemnation, guilt, or shame. Without, let me just tell you, without this gift of righteousness, without us accepting that, there is no real relationship with the Father. Because until we understand and then receive and accept what he's done, we're going to constantly be thinking that he is counting all of our mistakes or he's mad at us or we didn't have a good day or he's in a bad mood or whatever, whatever our, little, our little brilliant minds can conjure up as to the reasons that we're separated from him. And there is no reason for those that receive, there is no reason to be separated because of what he Jesus has done. You cannot have faith in the word and live under condemnation. If we don't understand that we are in him and he is our righteousness, we will never enjoy the Father's presence. Jesus is our righteousness, our Jehovah said Kenu. He, he is our covering. Look at Matthew 21, or I can just, Matthew 21, familiar story. <clears throat> Jesus here see, sees a lone fig tree by the road. He came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Now, at first glance, when you read this, you're going to think, wow, somebody didn't get their coffee. <laughs> like, 
ease up there. Man, what's the big deal? Like, why are you, you know? And so the, the disciples noticed that it withered at once. And so they're like, hey, look, man, how did that happen? He said, well, if you had faith, it would happen. And he said, this mountain be removed and be removed. And that seems to be the, 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 the crux of the story. And it probably is. But for whatever reason, I've been, was thinking about the fig tree. And this is just the way my mind works. The fig tree. And what, is there another reason? Is there another, could there be another message in this? And so, um, so in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve do the un- exactly what the Lord asked them not to do. They ate from the wrong tree. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, as soon as they ate, they says, at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And so later, the Lord's walking through the garden and he's looking for Adam and he says, where are you? He says, well, I, I hid myself because uh, I was afraid because I was naked. And, and God asked him, so did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? So yeah, I did. Well, actually, I, she gave it to me. And then it goes, yeah, well, well, then the snake gave it to me. And so anyway, once he followed the trail of blame, you know, he brought everything back around. God brought everything back around. Well, in verse um, 21, because the thing about sin, sin requires the death. Somebody's got to pay and in, in, in uh, I think it's uh, Leviticus 17, 11 says, Behold, I've given you blood in exchange for a life. So anytime someone sins, in this, in this case, Adam and Eve sinned, something or someone had to pay. So it says here that, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. So God, what we see here, atoned for Adam's sin and... He covered his nakedness. So could it be that Jesus cursing the fig tree was cursing mankind's method symbolically of covering themselves? He is our covering. Jehovah said, Kenu, the Lord, our righteousness. At the cross, Jesus became sin so that we can become his righteousness. We can have his standing before the Father. That's incredible. We don't deserve, never will, don't even go down that. Without any fear, condemnation, or shame. I want to show you something else. This is how important righteousness is. It's, we, we, we read it. Oh gosh, um, two or three years ago, one of our favorite verses that we read, talking about the atonement, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The ability to stand in the Father's presence without shame, fear, guilt. It's part of the foundation of his throne. The whole thing about Jesus dying, going through the hell that he went through, was so that mankind could have this thing called righteousness and be restored to right relationship with him. So, bring it back full circle. So, when you pray, pray like this. Jehovah said, Kenu, hallowed be your name.
Jehovah, my righteousness, hallowed be your name. There's no one like him. There's no one beside him. It's not even entered our mind. It's like when Samson's father asked the angel of the Lord, could you tell us your name so that, so that when this thing comes to pass, we can, you know, put a memorial for you or whatever. He said, why, why, why do you ask my name? It's too wonderful for you to understand. This is what he's referring to. Or this is something that we could, that we could put in that category of this is too wonderful for us to understand. But the invitation is not for information, it's for interaction. All right. <clears throat>